want to welcome you to worship at First Baptist this morning. We're glad you're here. How many of you are really happy today? Because UCLA won, right? Amazing. Wow, that was quite a game. When do they play again, Ted? Next week? At t- I thought you went to UCLA. Saturday. All right. Uh, anyhow, well, if you're not joyful, we hope that we can minister to you today and lift your spirit in the Lord. We're gathered here today to worship Jesus Christ and uh, Him alone, and we call you to that worship with us. I think it's going to be a great day. You've made a good decision to be here today. The uh, children have got some offering boxes for us, right, Mary Ann? And uh, they can bring them on up if they'd like. We are receiving an offering this month for our, we call it America for Christ, and it's an offering that goes to help mission work around our country, plant churches, establish neighborhood centers, minister to Indians, all kinds of ministries that flow out of this offering, and some of you have given as well, and we appreciate that. So thanks for this. And I'm going to begin just by lifting up a prayer for you and for this time together and thanking for the children's offering. Father God, we ask your blessing on this day as we gather in the name of Jesus. We're glad to be here. We're especially glad for the children, Lord, and we thank you for these gifts that they present to you. And we pray that throughout our country, from Alaska to Hawaii to Florida, across the land, that the word might go forth that there's a God in heaven who loves people. And that no matter where we've been or what we've done, you love us and you reach out to us in the strong name of Jesus to help us and to heal us. Thank you for these gifts. Bless them, Lord, so people may know you, so the hungry may be fed and people without clothes clothed. And we we will give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, boys and girls. Let's give them a round of applause, would you? Thank you. It is good to have you in, in worship with us this morning. Boy, they just keep on coming. Man, if the church folks would give like No, don't go there. <laughs> Joyce and I graduated from the same high school, and she had lived in that rural Ozark community all her life. I went to the, there only my senior year of school, and it's a small high school. The whole county comes together in one school, and there were 50-some in our graduating class. As I said, Joyce grew up there, spent her whole life there. I was always that kid from California. You know, you, you never quite fit in. Our family had been in the area 15 years, although I had not gone to school there. And we were always those people from California. So we began to date in our senior year of high school. And uh, then we dated after high school off and on. And I noticed that she used to always hang out with a kid named Jimmy Parker. And I guess it was probably prompted by curiosity and, if I'm honest, a little jealousy. And uh, one time, you know, I can remember they were I saw her with the car with Jimmy all the time. I said, you know, Jimmy Parker, why do you hang out with Jimmy Parker all the time? What's with that? And she said, oh, he's my cousin. <laughs> Some laugh. Which I said, perfectly normal, because she was literally related to about everybody in the county. And I was good friends with her cousin Lonnie. We used to, he was, his brother, older brother was great at drag racing. And so, you know, I had met her cousins and I accepted that as the answer. Well, as you know, we got married. Time rolls by. And one of the fun things we enjoy doing is going back to Warsaw High for high school reunions. And they have them about every five years and you go back and you just kind of connect with those people. Especially fun for Joyce because as I said, she grew up with a lot of these folks. 
I think, we're not sure, but it was either at our 20th or 25th high school reunion. We graduated from high school, by the way, when we were six. I know some of you are sitting there doing math. But uh, anyhow, when we were back for one of those high school reunions, like 20 or 25th, uh, we had had a great meal. People were hanging out. They were dancing. And, you know, we were just kind of relaxing in the, that Saturday evening. And Joyce and Jimmy and I were at the table, and Joyce left. And Jimmy and I were talking. And at that time, he owned a couple of gas companies back there, like a gas station and a delivery service of propane or something. So we're talking about business and talking. Somehow I refer to the fact that they are cousins. And he, gets, he stops mid-sentence and looks at me. He said, what did you say? And I said something about being cousins. And he said, with Joyce? And I said, yeah. You know where I'm going, don't you? You know I felt. We're not cousins. Oh, 20-some years of thinking Joyce and Jimmy are cousins. Now, last time she was in Missouri, guess who she saw? Yeah, Jimmy Parker. I ran into Jimmy. He sent me an email. I said, oh, did he now? Well, you know, there's a saying, ignorance is bliss. Someone also wrote, what you cannot know won't hurt you. And an English poet in the 18th century said, his name is Thomas Gray, when ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. Now, this morning I'd like to talk to you not so much about ignorance, but ignorance and learning. And is learning valuable? And what is the value of learning? And we're going to talk about that today. I hope you'll think with me along that line. Again, it's good to have you at First Baptist, and we want you to feel welcome and blessed by being here. And one way that will happen is if you are friendly. And the Bible says in order to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. So stand up, if you would, and uh, turn around and be friendly to three or four people. Would you do that? Please listen to the scripture. I'll be reading from Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Eugene Peterson is the person who wrote the paraphrase that we call the message. And He's a lifelong student of the Bible, and he wrote about the Gospel of Mark the following. He said, the Gospel of Mark is a basic text for Christian spirituality. The Gospel of Mark is the book that we're studying between Christmas and Easter, and some have said of Mark that he is a vivid storyteller. 
Personally, I like to go in churches, and I don't know what the number would be, but I would guess I have been in hundreds of churches. If you were to say, Steve, of all the churches you've seen and been in, what's your favorite? I would answer you instantly and the same every time. And it's St. Mark's Cathedral in Venice, Italy. I've been fortunate enough to be there for a Sunday morning worship service when the building is fully lit, and it's an astonishing place. It's partly astonishing because it floods. If the sea level gets too high, you get about a foot of water in there. Thank God they don't have floors like this. They're tile floors. But the entire building, and of course there's a dome in it, is made out of mosaic tile on the inside. And it's gold, gold mosaic tile. And you can imagine how it glows when it's lit. And if you go in there, there are biblical scenes everywhere. Now you could walk through that building in five or ten minutes, and you would say, wow, that's quite a place. And you'd be awed and overwhelmed, but you wouldn't see it all. And Mark's Gospel is similar. It's a short, power-packed book that you can get through quickly. But if you go quickly, you won't see it all. And I want to spend a moment with you in Mark chapter 12 today. And I want to kind of walk through the chapter up to the story which Joyce just read. The chapter opens with a parable about a vineyard owner who leases out the vineyard to workers. And when the grapes are ripe, the harvest has come, he sends different workers to collect the harvest. And they beat up and run off the workers. Finally, he sends his son, and they kill the son. And as Jesus tells this story in the opening chapter, obviously the Jews get upset, realizing it's a story about them. And they're angry. Then the next story in Mark is they ask Jesus about taxes and Caesar. And you know, as I know, that the Jews hated paying their Jewish money to the Romans in tax. But they had to. And they ask Jesus, he gives a short answer. Thirdly, somebody asks yet another question, and I think what's going on here is much like that goes on at the campus of Fuller Seminary or any Bible school or seminary, where you have people deeply interested in Scripture, and they ask lots of questions. And every professor gets those kinds of questions. And so Jesus is being asked, well, what about this? What about that? And he, he uh, is answering those questions. Now we come to the story at hand. And there's been a religious leader who's kind of hanging back, and unlike the lawyer who came to Jesus in Luke, I don't think this is the same person, this man appears to be very friendly to Jesus. He's amazed at the answers. And so he asks a question. Not good to speak about the Bible and forget your Bible. So he asks a question. And he says to Jesus, and I'm picking up reading in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. He says, of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? And I want to break there. Of all the commandments. Now, Mark chapter 12 is actually connected to chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, because Jesus later quotes from that book. And you can imagine, this, this is not a big book, but there's a lot of material in here to learn, isn't there? And so when you think about, if I need to learn the Bible and live the Bible, you say, wow, that's a big job. Now, I want to read to you just from one chapter in Leviticus. It begins by saying, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
And then it goes through lots of things. I'm just randomly going through here. Uh, do not turn to idols. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely. Uh, do not hold back a wage from the worker, the hired worker, overnight. Now, that's an interesting one. In other words, pay your workers every day. Uh, another one, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Um, do not mate different kinds of animals. Hmm, what kind of dog do you have? Uh, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Another interesting comment. And then on down it talks about the hair. It says, do not cut the hair on the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. And it goes on and on like this. And finally the chapter ends. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Wow. I mean, that's just one chapter from one of the five books of the law. How do you keep up all this stuff? How in the world? Can, can you understand it? And if you understand it, keep it. It's overwhelming. And so I'm very glad that this religious leader said to Jesus, Jesus, break it down for me. Make it simple. I'm, I'm not a complicated person. What do I need to do? What is the greatest commandment? So the man asked Jesus, and Jesus gave him an answer. And I want to read that answer. Jesus said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what Jesus did was to quote a scripture that all Jews knew. It's called the Shema, the word for hear, and it's Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And every Jew, every morning, got up and said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord is one. And every night when they went to bed, they said that, reminding them there's only one God and With the word Lord, they were reminded, we're in a covenant relationship with that God. He's our God. And so Jesus begins by reminding them of the Shema. And then he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with... Whoops, I skipped one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I want to stop there. He says something else, and there's really no break in it. But I want to stop there to say Jesus knew uh, several Bibles. That is to say, he was reading from the Hebrew Bible, and in there it says there are three words, soul and so forth, soul, heart, strength. And then there's the Greek Bible of the Old Testament, just like we have many translations, and each translation has a few different words or several. So too, as Jesus read the Hebrew, it used one set of words, In the Greek Old Testament, it used a different. And what Jesus does is very interesting because in both of those, there are three statements about loving the Lord, how you do that with your body or your soul or your heart. But Jesus makes it four. He pulls from both, puts them together, and says, you need to love God with your heart, soul, strength, your mind, and he makes four. In other words, to break it down, love the Lord your God with all you've got. Dallas Willard, who writes a lot about spiritual transformation, says that our spirit, or our will, is the executive center of life. He says that your soul is what runs your life. Our mind, of course, is where we think. And then finally, we are to use all these with all our strength to love God. That's the commandment of Jesus. 
But it doesn't end there, does it? He says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these. Very interesting. Now, that's quite a statement. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you, sitting here this morning, really care about what God wants you to do? Do I really care about what God wants me to do? And do you need it put in a neat little package? I can do that this morning because Jesus has already done it. Four words. Love God, love neighbor. Would you say that with me? Love God, love neighbor. Let's say it again. Love God, love neighbor. Four words. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That Jesus could break it down like that. Now, a moment ago, I said, ignorance is bliss. But, of course, it's not. To be unable to read is not bliss. It's tragic. To have cancer and not know it is life-threatening. To be unaware that the tire on your car is bald is not just ignorance, it's downright scary. To not know how to raise your child because you're ignorant, or to not know how to behave properly in a situation because you're ignorant, all these things are not bliss, they're bad, even deadly. And so today I want to talk to you about a common theme in church life, but to come to it today, and that is to issue a call. And it's a call to you to commit here today at this church to be a lifelong learner. I hope you'll keep thinking with me about that. Will you be a lifelong learner? And I hope you accept the call. Have you stopped growing? Now, I'm not talking about your physical growth. Let's not go there. Have you stopped growing? To keep things simple, I think we can say of every one of us, we are either growing, that is moving forward in life, we're standing still, treading water, not going forward or backward, or we're going backwards. And as I speak to you, the church, this morning, I want you to think with me about yourself. Are you growing? Or have you stopped growing? Now, I realize that... uh, This is a confession. I've got a bit of a problem this morning, and let me explain it this way. Uh, Yesterday, Linda Palou and Tony Holt and Dan Hayes and I went down to First Baptist Church in Santa Ana, where Dr. Bob Roberts was speaking and Dr. Dale Salico about the issues in our denominational family. And most of you have not had the privilege of meeting Dr. Bob Roberts, but he's a a longtime American Baptist pastor, a denominational leader, a general, uh, been the uh, executive minister and done all kinds of things within our family. He's now retired with his wife in Florida. And to know Bob is amazing because he's literally a person who bounces off the walls. He is, I've never seen a person with more energy, always smiling, just a tremendously upbeat person. And it's, it's something he literally cannot help. This is not manufactured. It's just the way Bob is. Well, he was there, and uh, he likes to say this, and I'm going to borrow this from Bob. He said very seriously... You know, my kids debate whether or not I'm going to get to heaven. And he said, seriously, my kids not sure I'm going to make it to heaven. He said, the problem is I may overshoot the place. (laughs) 
And uh, this morning, what I've done is I've overshot my sermon. And I started going through this yesterday, and this is a confession, but I realized I've got seven points, at least. Wow. And the problem was not that I had seven points, but that I couldn't really change it because it was already printed and laying there in the worship folder, which you have. See, that was the real problem. I'm sort of stuck. So what am I going to do? Well, I don't mind preaching seven points. Do you? (laughs) Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to go fast on these first things because I want to talk to you about lifelong learning, a call to lifelong learning. And what does that mean? What am I actually talking about when I say, will you join me in being a lifelong learner? And uh, these first questions are, sometimes if you're stuck and you don't know what to say or do, you can just pull out the four W's or the five W's. I'm not talking about George W. either, so don't go there. Uh, just pull out the W's. You know the W's you learned in English class? What are they? What, where, when, why? Yeah, and there's a how you can throw in there. Uh, so those are the ones we're going to do today. And uh, I want to kind of blow through these, but we'll, we'll do it very quickly. And the first one is who. And uh, let me just walk back here because I want to irritate people. But uh, anyhow... Uh, I'm just testing the system. Um, as a lifelong learner, let's ask this. Who are we supposed to be learning about as Christians? Christ? Anybody else give me an answer? Jesus? Who? What I... Working now? Maybe. There we go. Okay. Um... God, that's what I was going to put down. Who are we to be learning about? As I talk to you and call you to becoming a lifelong learner, we're not talking about the many things you could be learning about in schools and so forth. We're talking here in the church about learning about God. And there are two fill-in-the-blanks here. Um, The first is, when you read your Bible or when you start to say, how do I grow as a Christian? First of all, think about God. And the word to write in is, theologize first. That means that when you come to the Scripture and say, what's going on here, ask yourself, what's this say about God? And I would encourage that in life. And then secondly, moralize second. Now, as good evangelical people, we know how to do this par excellence. We moralize all the time. But this question should only be asked after you've talked about God. And this question says, what does God want me to do? So, the first question, who do we learn about, is we learn about God. Now, we oftentimes say to children, well, how was your day? Or we'll say to a friend, how was your day? There was a mom I read about who must have been a very brilliant mom. You know what she asked her kids at night? She had children. As she put her daughter to bed, she'd say to, to her daughter every, every night, where did you meet God today? Wow. And her daughter would respond, well, I, my teacher was really kind to me today. And I met God in the kindness of my teacher. Or I saw a homeless man in the park, and I I saw Jesus in that person. And the mom was prepared to also answer the question from her daughter, where did you meet God today, mom? And they would talk about that. That's what I'm talking about. Be a learner about God. Not a bad idea to end your day saying, where did I meet God today? Or to begin your day saying, Lord, where am I going to meet you today? So... The call to become a lifelong learner. Who are we going to learn about? We're going to learn about God. What are we going to learn? Would someone just stand and read loudly this scripture? 
No, let's not read it. I'll have you read another one. This one, I didn't get it up there quite right. Jesus said, you know, as you go into the world and make disciples, He said, you're to teach those disciples everything which I have commanded you. Learn to obey what I've commanded you. Now, WWJD, you know that's so last year. Don't do that anymore, right? That's just old. I got a better one. Again, a reference to Dallas Willard. He was a professor at USC in philosophy. He writes a lot of books about spiritual transformation. Here's what Dallas Willard says about discipleship. He says, our challenge is this. Let me, I'll say it twice. Our challenge is this. I am learning to be, to do what Jesus would do if he were I. Did you catch that? I'm learning to do what Jesus would do if he were I. That's what we're supposed to be learning. We're not just about learning the Bible. We're learning to do what Jesus wants us to do. The Bible is an end to a means. A means to an end. <laughs> so, no, number, uh, next one, where? Where do we go to learn? Where would you say the first place would be we should go to learn? Church, that's good, but... The Bible, sure. And someone read this first. Let's put it up there. Yes, uh, Rachel, you want to read that? So that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you. We go to the Scripture to learn about God and to learn about how to live for God. Now, it's not just there. It's not only the Scripture. Because I learn from you, you learn from me, we learn from circumstances. There are lots of places we learn. But the Bible is our authority for faith and practice, and that's where we go. Now, when do we learn? When's a good time to learn? When we read, yeah? School? All the time. Let's read this Scripture together. We'll put it up there. Let's read together from Psalm 1. The great passage. Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on His law day and night. How often do they meditate? <laughs> day and night. So when do we learn? We learn all the time. Now the last one is where I want to settle in, and this is the why. And I really want to share with you here as we wrap up, uh, why should I become a lifelong learner? Steve, is there a benefit? Is there help to me? I mean, why would I want to do that? Why do I want to learn about God? And I'm going to try to answer that with three words. And the first word is this. It's the word peace. Why should you become a lifelong learner? Because I think by being a lifelong learner about God, you will come into a world of peace. A couple of scriptures. And how, uh, to Timothy, Paul said, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture. What does the Holy Scripture do? It makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now when... Paul started that book, he said, peace to you in Christ Jesus, because Timothy had found peace through the Lord. And then in 2 Thessalonians, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Are you at peace with God? If we could sit down over a cup of coffee and I said, how's your soul? Are you at peace? Are you at peace with God? What would you say? Good. That's good. That's where we want to be. And what the Scripture says is God wants to give us that peace. And so I realize, Steve, when you're not at peace, that's not God's will. There's something wrong in my life. Now, peace begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. My folks are here today. And uh, I was going back to my childhood. When I grew up, there were two fears in my life. And I don't know, you know why I remember this or this is so, but first of all, in the time I grew up, there was the Cold War. You ever hear about the Cold War? 
Luke? You, yeah, well, good. But there was the Cold War. You know, if you're younger, you may have missed that, but that's when we were in a Cold War with Russia and the Communist bloc, and what I was afraid of was bombs. Russia's going to blow us up. We're going to blow them up. I'm going to have to go off to war. And I, as a child, I worried about that. I did not want to have to go off to war. And I also remember as a child, I grew up in a tradition that uh, taught Jesus is coming back, the rapture, you know, he's going to take all the believers away, and people have made a lot of money off this phrase, some are going to be left behind. And I thought I'd be left behind, and I was worried. And so those were my two fears as a child. Jesus is going to come back and be left behind, or I'm just going to get blown up by, by the wars. Now, I can remember as a boy when the Lord spoke to me, and with my mom I prayed and I opened my heart to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. You say, Steve, what are you talking about? I'm talking about having peace with God. And perhaps you've done that, but if not, and you'd say, well, Steve, how do I find peace with God? You do that by opening the door of your heart and saying yes to God. Come into my life. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive eternal life. And peace with God is established. A relationship is established. Now, many of us have done this, but that doesn't guarantee you will always have peace, does it? And sometimes when that peace is broken, we have to say, why is it broken? And many times it's because of things I've done. The Bible calls that sin. I don't, you know, we don't like to use that word maybe, but fact is we sin. And sometimes when I realize I'm, there's a knot in my stomach or there's pressure on my chest or I'm just scattered and can't think, and I have to sit down and figure out what's going on here, I need to check, Steve, what have you been doing or not doing that you should have been doing or shouldn't have been doing? And that's where confession comes in, to reestablish the peace in my soul. Sometimes it has nothing to do with sin, it's just the turmoil and chaos of life, you know about that, comes and we, we don't have peace, and so I, I work on connecting with God, I work on honoring uh, the Lord with songs or reading scriptures or maybe being silent or there's some way in which we begin to worship and reestablish that peace. So this morning, I want to encourage you as a lifelong learner, God wants you to have peace and you're called to peace. And I can say to you that that's a growing part of our lives as we walk with the Lord and grow is that we are peaceful people. That's a benefit of being a lifelong learner. Now there's another benefit. And this is the word protection. Would someone uh, read a couple of verses here about protection? If you do a word search on protection, you're going to find a lot of verses in your Bible. I've just chosen a couple, but let's put this up here. Who would read that? Thank you. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands. You will live. That's the word I'd underscore. You're going to have life. All right, the next verse is this. God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. Or some of your versions say God's name is a strong tower. It's a place of protection. Now, let me say at the outside, I believe that with all my heart, that God protects us. However, when I say protection, protection is not a prophylactic against pain in our lives. I'm not trying to tell you, if you just come to God, everything's going to be well. This past Friday, we got a call from Tim Hughes. Tim is working with our college students here. He's uh, finishing up at Fuller Seminary and will graduate this spring. And he got a call from his family up in Washington, and they called him to say that so-and-so, a member of the church and a friend, 
was in Bakersfield. Now, I don't have all the details here, but generally speaking, this is a young man in his 20s who was in the church that Tim's dad pastored. Tim's dad's an American Baptist pastor. And this young man was adopted by a family in the church, grew up in the church, a real success story. Went to chef school, was working in Bakersfield, standing on a corner, and somebody came up and shot him in the head. And his friend. And his friend died this weekend. And this young man is clinging to life. Now, Tim was called because he's the closest person that could go there and be with the families as they tried to get down from Washington. Now, when I say protection, I'm fully aware these things happen to us and our children and God's children. Nevertheless, the Bible does promise protection. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. God is our protection, our refuge and strength. What does that mean? Well, as I think back in my own life about protection... First of all, I'm protected from hell. That's a big deal. You know, God has given us new life, and God eternally saves you. And if you've committed to Jesus Christ, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Guaranteed. That's huge. But it's not just heaven when we die that God protects us from hell. It's that I think God protects us in our life. And as I become a lifelong learner, I'm sure God has protected me in so many ways in my life that I don't even know about. Because I'm trying to live for him, and he may have physically protected, but beyond that, he's morally protected me, he's ethically protected me. I was thinking of, when I went through seminary, we managed River Trail Apartments in Wheeling. And uh, Joyce was the manager, I was the maintenance guy. And we'd get calls, you know, fix a leaky pipe here, that, there. And I can remember knocking on an apartment door. We had a, a woman who was a single woman, lived in the apartment. She said, my bathtub is clogged up. And so I was going to go down there and unclog the bathtub, which happened all the time. So I knock on the door, tell her why I'm there. And she says to me, oh, come on in. And I come on in, I go in the bathroom. And she comes in, she says, I'm just getting ready to take a shower. Wait a minute, and then you can clean the... Wait a minute. Yeah, that's okay. I'll just sit right here while you take your shower. And, and the Lord said to me, right at the moment, just leave. About time to go, tell her you'll come back. When, when is she going to be at work? And you can come in and fix her shower. Now, you see... We can get caught in all, we can get blindsided sometimes in situations that are totally wrong, but the Lord speaks to us and protects us and helps us. So, I would suggest to you, why be a lifelong learner? Because God is going to give you peace, God is going to protect you, and one last thing, God is going to turn you into a person of praise. A person of praise. Uh, let's read this scripture together. Before we do, I'm going to put it up there, you can be checking it out. Um, well, let's, let's read it. Go ahead. Praise the Lord. Cindy, what is the name of your aunt that was at the wedding? Is it Aunt Jane or Aunt Julie? Jane. Okay. We were at a wedding a week ago Saturday night. Uh, Heather was married in our chapel. It was a great time there. And the table we were seated at, uh, at that table, was Aunt Jane from Arkansas, from southern Arkansas. We said, well, we're from the Ozarks. She said, I'm not from the Ozarks. I'm from southern Arkansas. And I said, excuse me. And we got to know Aunt Jane, and we had a lot of fun. She's about 65 years old, about this tall, white curly hair. You can picture her. And uh, she began to tell us her husband died a year or two ago. They had been married 13 years, and you know she was a bit sad as she explained that and how she missed him. And then uh, as we talked, she commented on some other troubles in her life, one of which was a stroke recently. Uh, she didn't look like she'd had a stroke, but she was talking about her health problems. And... Um, as we continued to talk, somehow it came around to things of the Lord, and she said, 
this to me, and I wrote it down. It was so great. She said, very seriously and enthusiastically, I'm just going to walk around with a smile on my face and praise the Lord. And she had a big smile on her face, and you just kind of said, Amen, sister. I mean, it was that kind of a very, she wasn't being phony, that's just who she was. And she had had a smile on her face. And I thought, that, that's, that's a pretty good deal. And it told me, here's the person who knows the Lord, and who's growing in the Lord, a lifelong learner. And I want to encourage you, as you grow in the Lord, if you're really growing, you are going to be, I get to say it all over again. As you grow in the Lord, you are going to become a person of praise. I believe that with all my heart. God doesn't make old, soured, wrinkled up, grumpy folks. He wants us to grow into praise folks. Robbie gave this story to her class the other day, and I borrowed it. There was a little old lady who every morning she got up and went out on her steps, and she said, Praise the Lord! Well, as things turned out, an atheist moved in next door. And so he would get up every morning... And he would go out on his steps and just as loudly yell, There is no Lord! And this went on forever. The neighbors were irritated. You know, praise the Lord, there is no Lord. Well, one bitter winter day, this old lady went out and she said this, Praise the Lord! And then she said, Please, Lord, I have no food. I'm starving to death in this cold house. Provide for me, Lord, help me. Well, the next morning she went out and there were two bags of groceries overflowing on her porch. And so she was quite excited, and she said, Praise the Lord! The Lord has provided me with groceries. And out from behind the bush came the atheist, and he said, The Lord didn't buy those groceries. I did. The woman wasn't phased. She said, Praise the Lord! He has provided me groceries, and he made the devil pay for it. Ignorance is not bliss. And one of the problems in our churches today is ignorance. Paul says you're, you're still drinking milk when you should be eating the meat of the Word because you haven't grown up. And I want to make a serious call to you today that in your heart you're going to say, I'm going to become a lifelong learner. I'm never going to stop learning and growing in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to commit to that, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to turn to at least two people and turn around and say, I'm going to be walking around with a smile on my face saying, Praise the Lord!